Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 56. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Caroline Borders. And today we're going to be giving a review and a discussion of season one of Black Mirror. It's a show produced by the BBC that takes a satirical look at technology in our lives, and it's often very somber and dystopian, but in my opinion, very thought-provoking. And so I asked Caroline to view the show because I had already seen it, and I re-watched all of the episodes. And so today we're going to be covering season one. And in a few episodes, we're going to be covering season two. So if you have not yet seen it, you have a chance to watch season two before we actually talk about it. And also as a fair warning, we are going to be spoiling the plots heavily of all of the episodes in season one. So if you haven't seen it and would like to, which both of us would highly encourage, it's a great show. Seriously. Do so now and stop listening to this episode because we are going to spoil it and we don't want to ruin it for you. So Caroline, which episode episode do you want to begin with in this discussion? I think for me, the most relatable was the third episode, The Entire History of You, I think it's called. And they're all disturbing. They really are. They incorporate technology in a way that is on one end horrifying and on the other, you can't stop watching because we've all had this desire to have, at least in this episode, this kind of technology. So the basic premise of this episode is that everyone has a grain implanted behind their ear, which stores all their memories and they can go back and replay moments. And in those replays or redos, they call them, then you can also incorporate lip reading or simply like slowing down the motions and the episode begins with a young lawyer named Liam sort of stumbling through an interview for a new job and he leaves with the very distinct impression that he didn't quite get it and you can see in the looks of those interviewing him that they are not terribly confident in his abilities and as he's leaving in the taxi cab he's scrolling through memories of what happened and it's just so paranoid and I think that's one of the most important ideas in this entire episode is that of paranoia and how we regret deeply the things we've experienced so he's looking at their body language and lip reading from across the room what they're saying to one another in hushed tones. Exactly. It's something that anyone with social anxiety kind of goes through and they replay moments in their mind. But in this way, you actually get to go back and replay the moments over and over and over again. I mean, it's like what every person maybe with social anxiety would want, but it only reinforces that anxiety. So it's quite relatable, I'd say. That's exactly what it does. And it is very relatable. I'm also going to keep touching on the fact that Black Mirror is a beautiful title for this series, because in many ways, in the technology we use, we see ourselves and we see our impulses magnified. It's named for the way our screens look when they are powered down. As some people know, because I do, because if I'm in a library and I need a mirror, sometimes I'll just turn the brightness down on my computer and then it's a reflection of yourself. So it's a really thoughtful title, Mm -hmm. I'd say. And so after this interview, Liam arrives home, he's married to his wife, Fee, and they're having a dinner party, and she introduces this man that he doesn't quite recognize named Jonas, and as the dinner party's beginning, Liam is scanning through memories to try and identify all of the people at the dinner party, and you clearly see a scramble to be socially together, which to me is another very relatable thing. Most people in the world are not together. We all struggle with things, we are all concerned about various aspects of our lives and our appearance, and constantly try and heap this idea of social confidence onto ourselves so that 
other people can't see what's underneath mm-hmm. and can't perceive the cracks. And it was just this very interesting idea that I'm sure in the modern age we live in, people have gone to dinner parties, failed to identify someone, and then scurry off to the bathroom to look them up on Facebook and find out who they are. So in many ways, this is not that far from our reality. It's just a few steps exactly. fewer because the technology is more advanced. But I like how you said this is relatable. I think all of the episodes we watched are very relatable, and that's what adds to the dread that you feel after watching. Exactly. You watch these people dissect their lives through these memories, and you're just horrified. But at the same time, we do that as well with social media. And it's also just so tempting. Like You think, oh, why don't you have some self-control? You know that this isn't helping. You know this is unhealthy for your relationship to be constantly dissecting moments that you see your wife having this weird chemistry or this weird vibe with this man Jonas and you think to yourself oh there's something there so you replay that moment where they're talking across the room over and over and over again and you get the function that lip reads to like see what they're saying between each other it's just this paranoia but at the same time you think stop doing that you're not helping anything it's better not to know but we're told that we're happier when we don't have social media and when we don't have Facebook but do that many people delete their Facebook for that reason? No, because it's a weird addiction. You have it. It's accessible, so you use it. If we had access to technology like this, even though Black Mirror is really cautioning against it in this episode, I think we would totally use it. And I think what is so thought-provoking about Black Mirror is the fact that everything in Black Mirror is realistic to some extent, and it's kind of outlining the trajectory for where technology is going. Certainly. And after getting home, Liam talks about how difficult the interview was and his friends say, put a replay up on the wall so we can watch together and review it with you. And I think it's a really troubling idea that when you record so much of your life, it becomes entertainment for other people. And essentially, they think they are critics on the sidelines who can either help you with it or just get a laugh out of what's going wrong in your life and reviewing it. And it seemed like a very human response to this technology. If it did exist in our world, how people would treat it. And I felt bad for him in a way that a child who makes a mistake on a test shouldn't have to share the test with everyone at a dinner party because that's incredibly personal and invasive. And that's what this felt like to me in many ways. And so the dinner begins and Jonas reveals a really troubling use of this technology. And he says that he often masturbates to redos of sexual encounters from previous relationships. And my initial reaction was one of disgust because it seems as though he's dwelling in the past and also in some weird way abusing the trust of people that he's been with in the past. And again, I think it's something people would do with this technology. They might not admit to it, but we all relish certain encounters we've had in the past and also human memory tends to distort how great certain things were. And I think we romanticize any element of our past that was even remotely positive. And I think it causes us to dwell and to live in the past in a very unhealthy way. And so increasingly, Liam becomes paranoid. And when he and Fee return home, we learn that Fee actually had a previous relationship with Jonas. And we learn that because... Or she lies about it and she says it was like one time in Marrakesh. We later see Fee at Jonas's house and Liam goes over to investigate and there's a memory that's played in which in the reflection of Fee's eye he can see the memories of Jonas and how it goes back years and that just sets him completely over the edge Mm -hmm. 
But he found out in a pretty invasive way, I'd say, where he goes through and then it starts playing her memories. And she is just like, please don't do this. She begs and, him to let it go. And I feel like the like she's the audience in that sense. I was like, don't do this to yourself. This is crazy. Mm -hmm. Like you're not helping anyone. But at that point, I mean, he's past he's the paranoia. Gone. He's gone, you know. Mm -hmm. And it was also really troubling, again, touching on the sexual aspect of how this technology was used. Yes. After Fee and Liam sleep together when they return from the dinner party or in a nearby night they sleep together and then immediately relive or even during the sexual experience are reliving previous encounters that were better and it's just so exactly. bizarre they're using one another it's as sad. physical bodies. I mean, and it's really interesting how it's filmed too because it's introduced like, oh, they're having like passionate sex and then it jumps out of that because that's the memory and you see them having pretty, I don't know. They're just writhing next to one another on yeah, a bed. It's disturbing. With grayed out eyes of exactly. them watching these past memories and yeah. it's so interesting that that is what society could be heading towards mm -hmm. in that way. So to conclude the summary of the episode, at least, Liam eventually becomes more and more paranoid and confronts Jonas. He gets drunk and he goes to Jonas's house and says, you're going to prove to me that you have memories of my wife and you're going to delete them. You're not going to masturbate to the image of my wife anymore and threatens right. him with a broken bottle. Jonas and his wife are increasingly confused and upset by all of this. They try to be gentle at first, but Liam is increasingly aggressive and threatens Jonas with the broken bottle and says, you're going to delete all of those memories. And Jonas eventually does. Liam, being drunk, drives home and crashes his car. And earlier, we've actually learned that Liam and Fee are expecting a baby. And he comes home after crashing the car drunkenly. He survived. He watches the memory of what he had done to Jonas because that's when we retroactively learn that he drunkenly threatened this man. He comes home and confronts Fee, who adamantly insists that the baby is, in fact, hers and Liam's, and we find out that it's not. Liam pushes her, and eventually she admits, I believe, that it's hers and Jonas's. And so the episode ends with Liam wandering about his house, and he's watching memories of things, and the memories slowly fade out, and we see that he's just alone in this barren house. It's implied that Fee left him. Who knows where she went? But he's alone, and I feel like that's a really powerful image, and in desperation and anger, at the end of the episode, he goes to his bathroom, and he gets a razor blade and cuts the grain out, and it's a poetic moment, and symbolically, it's beautiful, but for me, as someone who doesn't do well with blood, it was really disturbing, and I could also, in many ways, feel the emotional pain of just being ravaged by all of your memories like that and having them at a finger's touch away. Exactly. And I remember at the dinner party, there was one woman who'd had her grain removed and everyone was like, I could never do that. And she was like, oh, I'm the happiest I've ever been, you know? And mm -hmm. I think there's those people in our society, like those people who don't have Facebook, who aren't connected to the internet and people around them who really rely on the internet now are like, I could never go without the internet. It's there. And even if we're told, oh, we would be happier without it, we couldn't not have it. And I think the unspoken question at the dinner party from those who still have their grain to the woman who had hers removed is, how can you really be happy if you don't have the ability to access those happy memories? Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's actually said, but I think it's heavily implied that that's their confusion with her, that they don't understand what it is to be happy if you're not reliving that happiness. And to me, as a closing remark on this episode, I think... 
that's one of the points that Absolutely. you're not meant to live your life dwelling in one or few happy moments, but finding new ones that are different from previous examples of happiness and expand your definition of what it means to be happy. And how living in the past can really destroy relationships and lives or just dwelling in the past. Maybe. Right. The next episode we're going to talk about is episode number two. We're going backwards here and it's called 15 Million Merits. So to give a summary of this episode that's a bit more succinct, we are met by Bing and his friend Abby, both of whom live in a society where people, upper class or middle class citizens, are constantly on bikes that are set up like treadmills. They're stationary bikes and you are generating merits or credits that you can use to purchase things when people go home and basically sleep in these lonely cells that are screens on all sides. No windows. You have no idea what kind of world these people actually live in Mm -hmm. because they go from cell to cell, essentially. You never know if... What's outside. Yeah, you never know if they're on Earth or if they're like in some Arctic planet where this is what they had to do to survive. There's no real context given Mm -hmm. for what kind of world they're living in. And so they're generating these merits and the merits can be spent on things like new clothing for your avatar that you see when you're biking. And when biking, people are playing these games and so you can dress up the avatar, but it's nothing of consequence that you're spending these merits on. And when you go home to these cells that Caroline and I are describing, you are subject to advertisements of various really graphic things. And if you look away from the ads, there will be a loud beep and you're basically forced to watch them. And if you don't want to watch them, you can pay with the merits you've earned to send them away and you don't have to watch them. And so one afternoon, Bing is in the bathroom and he overhears this girl named Abby singing beautifully. And he says, you should really go try it for that X Factor like game show called Hot Shots. And he, of course, doesn't compare it to X Factor in our world, but that's what it's like, American Idol, any talent show. Any talent show, yeah. And so he has recently inherited 15 million merits, and that's the entry fee for the show. He spends it on her. She goes, and what very disturbingly happens is that she sings, and the judges find her to be slightly slightly over average and say, sorry, there's no room for an above average singer. Have you considered something in maybe the adult actress field, and would you be interested in pornography? And she hesitates as I think many people would if faced with that question, first of all, by authority figures, and secondly, in public. There are people watching, and when I say people, it's really avatars of those watching from their bikes. Or in their cells. Exactly. And she doesn't want to do this. But what did she drink before she went on stage? This thing called compliance, which is basically a drug. Obviously, there's a play on the word compliance. And so gradually she's goaded into this and the scene cuts away. We don't know what happens. And Bing, unsure of what has happened. He's heartbroken. Exactly. Resumes biking. And we don't really know her fate until one day he sees an ad for her in a very graphic scene. Exactly. The episode itself with Bing being the protagonist is pretty anti-pornography because Mm -hmm. all these ads are very pornographic. Mm -hmm. And he just keeps trying to shut them off, shut them off. And that's really the main form of entertainment that is coming on those screens. And every time he does ignore it or shut it off, then he loses some of his merits. Right. And he, having spent $15 million on Abby, has virtually none left when he sees her ad play. And so he turns away, and there's just this ear-piercing shriek that emits until he is basically forced to watch his friend that he sacrificed so much for. And so we see him become an apathetic figure. He loses essentially all hope and resumes biking. Well, he he also like kicks and breaks the walls. Right, in an attempt to get out and exactly. stop watching. 
and or just to make it stop because at a, at a certain point he doesn't have any more merits left so he has to watch it and he breaks the screen and hides a shard of glass and then he starts biking and is suddenly more motivated because he wants to go back on hot shots and we discover when he does get there after waiting for days to get on the show like very apathetically stoically he's waiting and he gets on the show and he does his routine and then he threatens to kill himself with the shard of glass and the judges are so impressed by how emotionally raw he is and it's really disturbing they aren't affected by it so people much are as entertained they are exactly impressed by what theatricality what dramatic exposure what you're giving us yeah and so they offer him a show and they say you can go back to biking you'll be a meaningless person you are not going to change anything or effectively you can have your own show in which you can rant about whatever you'd like and you will be above that system mm-hmm. and so again there's a cutaway and we find out that he has decided to take a program in which he constantly rants and holds the glass shard up to his neck in what is essentially a caricature of his prior emotions and the episode ends with him looking out over just a vast green forest stretching to the horizon and we don't know if that's a real image or if it's just inside of a slightly larger cell. Exactly. That's how the episode ends. So I want to ask, as I should have for the previous episode, what was your initial reaction? Once the episode ends, do you remember how you felt and what you thought? I find this episode one of the hardest to talk about just because it is so dystopian in a way that it's a lot less relatable to me in a way, but relatable in so many other ways where I feel like our lives are governed by screens in a lot of ways. Not that technology is taken over the world, but in a lot of ways it has. And I think what Black Mirror does really well is that, especially in America, technology is glorified and championed and held up on this pedestal. And it really brings it down to a level where it is quite negative, especially in this light where a person's life is screen after screen after screen after screen to a point where then they are behind the screen and making all these other people watch. And that's like the height of where they can go in life is to be on the screen. And I found that disturbing and sad. (laughs) I mean, a really sweet part of the episode is this little romance or affection he has for Abby. And you literally see him to get to a place where he's not in front of screens all day and he's not in this tiny little cell of a room and in fact in a bigger cell, but he's alone. He's completely alone and it's all sad no matter where you end up. I agree. One thing we didn't touch on is that second class citizens are the obese and I think that's a a really important commentary. And they're humiliated Mm -hmm. and treated like second class citizens overtly. And I think it's an issue for us today in 2015, both with obesity on a global level, largely in a Western context, but also how we talk about obesity. And it's something that the episode glosses over, I would argue, in a very intentional way that it's not mentioned. And of course, those who are dealing with higher levels of society are on bikes and not going anywhere, very specifically watching screens as they bike. And I think it could be a commentary on the number of treadmills in 2015. 15 in our actual world where people are moving without moving. You're exercising to stay fit, but you're not exploring your environment. And of course, people, myself and others use treadmills, but those on the bikes act as though they're so superior when really 
They're going through the motions. They're buying virtual information that really doesn't affect them on a personal level. And it's all just a system of entertainment. Those in the bikes are being entertained. They find entertainment in the larger janitors who are taking care of the space and are incredibly disrespectful to them. And everyone essentially is losing in their own way. They're all trapped in this environment. Like you said, we don't know what the actual world looks like, but there's a lot of really great commentary on what it means to be an audience and what it means to be entertained and also how important active participation is in the positive, which of course speaks to what we're doing in a podcast. Maybe there are people laughing at our episodes and saying we're ridiculous for the conversations we're having, but it's important to engage. If it is negative, so be it. But all of the audience members that we see respond to Abby and Bing are just fixated. And in many cases, mocking Abby for ridiculous reasons. She has every right to not want to be in pornography, yet they laugh at her and mock her. And with Bing, they have this very false sense of surprise and shock, which in my opinion is very fabricated. They don't care what happens to him. No one except Bing and Abby seem to care about anyone. Exactly. It's all very isolating where people are tricked into feeling they have this communal experience watching this show that could be X Factor on steroids. And you see the show and it's all these avatars watching it together, but then you look and see where the actual people who are behind those avatars are and it's alone in a cell. Mm -hmm. And they are laughing, they're pointing, they're cheering or jeering at the screen, but they're completely alone. And now to go from that sense of false community to, in my opinion, a much more realistic image of what our communities look like, the first episode of the season entitled The National Anthem and the final episode we will be discussing today in which to give another quick summary, if you'll permit me, Caroline. Princess Susanna of the royal family is kidnapped and for her safe return, the prime minister, Michael, must have sexual intercourse with a pig on live television. Now, out loud, this sounds like a ridiculous proposal and that's how he reacts in the morning when he's woken up by his advisors. They say, you have to watch this and he watches it and just chuckles and says, well, (laughs) I'm not going to do that. And they say, well, it's pretty clear that you, you have to. The kidnapper has demanded that you do it. He has made it clear that you shouldn't try and pre-record it. You shouldn't use a stunt double or film from alternative angles. There's really no way you can fake this. And it's on YouTube and it's been spread and plenty of people know about it, even though the news has been told not to share it yet. They still have the information and the data. And so gradually a false tape is being made. The kidnapper finds out about this, of course, and sends a severed finger, believed to be the princesses, to the residence of the prime minister. And he says, it's really looking like I'm going to have to do this. And the news begins following this and showing people how the plot is developing. We see what are essentially military individuals raid a compound to try and find the kidnapper. He or she is not there. And so it seems increasingly likely as the clock approaches 4 p.m., that the prime minister is going to have to do this. And so we see people gathering in pubs to watch and everyone's doubtful about this. No one really knows what's going to happen yet. Everyone's watching to see what's going to happen. And of course, the clock strikes four and Princess Susanna is nowhere to be found. And so the prime minister engages and has sex with a pig. And you can see the looks of disgust and shock on people's faces. But at the same time, people don't stop watching and they're fixated. Then the episode cuts to a year later and Callow's political image has actually remained intact 
and he has gained great approval because of his willingness to sacrifice his dignity. And Princess Susanna, it turns out, never had her finger cut off. That was the kidnapper's finger. And she was returned very safely at the time of the broadcast because really... Before, actually. And it seems that the kidnapper only wanted to see himself succeed and wanted to see how far he could push the prime minister. And I would say this episode is not entirely ridiculous in that way because as we become increasingly connected on social media, it's real world impact is much greater than I think most people realize. And there have been jobs lost and lives ruined based on what people post in a momentary thought or videos people share or even threats made. Cyberbullying is, of course, a very real thing. And so in a way, this is an example of international or political cyberbullying that genuinely happens. And it's incredibly upsetting to watch, but I would also caution anyone watching to not discount it as complete fiction, because I think in many ways we've seen things like this before, obviously not to this degree, but I fearfully say we could live in this world at some point, and I hope that we never do, but I think that people have to be aware and perceptive to prevent things like this. Absolutely. What I found disturbing was that it was made expressly for the public. And so it was a public experience. Not only did he want to challenge the prime minister, but he also wanted to challenge the public because you hear about something like this. Oh, the prime minister is going to have sexual intercourse with a pig. Disgusting. That's vulgar. And I wouldn't want to see that on live television yet. How could you not watch something like that? I think it's demonstrating how technology is so pervasive in that because things are available to you, you can't not watch. You can't not use it. It's all at your fingertips. It's all so shocking and entertaining. I think the kidnapper wanted to see how he could push people to what entertains them in like a very kind of Freudian like, oh, like in my subconscious, I have all these hidden thoughts and desires and like, oh, because it's there, I'm going to participate in it. Mm -hmm. And in that same vein, it's a really interesting perspective I found between where the prime minister stood in all this and then the public, but then also us as an audience, because once he actually does start having sexual intercourse with the pig, the lens is on the act. Us as the audience become the public and we can't stop watching either because it's just so crazy. We don't feel nearly as guilty maybe as a public mm-hmm. would because it's just a television show. And I think the episode also points to the fact that you can be the most powerful individual in the world politically, economically, whatever you still have social ties and social media doesn't care how wealthy you are. If you have an embarrassing story or an embarrassing image, people will spread it. And that's one thing that's really key is that messages get spread around, often the shocking ones and the disturbing ones and those that we are engrossed by yet at the same time disgusted by and don't know quite how to deal with them except publicly. And while the prime minister is maybe revered for his act, his wife is utterly humiliated and is reading stuff on social media before the act happens. And then you see the prime minister and his wife months afterward, and she won't even go near him. I mean, in public, they put on a facade, but then behind closed doors, she will not talk to him, not go near him because her pride has been wounded in a way by virtual information that people are putting on social media. Right. So before we close out the episode, do you have any last thoughts on any of these three episodes? Anything that we haven't quite touched on? The main thing I took away from Black Mirror, especially with the entire history of you, and I think we'll see this in the later episodes as well, was how all this technology is created to be so sleek and like titillatingly appealing, at least to the eye that it's hard not to see how Black Mirror is really outlining 
where society could go. I found that especially thought-provoking. It's a very cautionary tale, I'd right, say. Right, definitely is. I would say, as a final thought of something I'd like the audience to think about, and then Caroline, I'll hand it back to you, the idea that many of these episodes, as I said, regarding the national anthem, are not so far from our reality. And although we don't have grains behind our ears, we do have smartphones, and we often capture as much as we can on them, and do later relive those moments or try to with the information that we capture. And I think it's interesting that we can be so disturbed by watching the entire history of you yet so comfortable with the socially popular practice of capturing images and videos of our lives. And so and I would, replaying them. Right. Months later, replaying them, being like, oh, ha, ha, remember this. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm talking to a friend and we're talking about some friends that we haven't seen or talked to in a while, and we're like, oh, are they still in a relationship? It's like, oh, I don't know. Let me check Facebook. I don't need to call them and ask them. I'll just look and see if they're in pictures together on Facebook or if the relationship status is what it was six months ago, whatever it is. So I would just challenge people to compare our world with the world of Black Mirror, arguably season one, because we'll still talk more about season two. What are some things you want the audience to think about? I guess I'd like the audience to think about their role in society and not necessarily pushing back on technology, but also acknowledging that, yes, while in episode two, it may have been an exaggerated People are in cells and we're not like that. But at the very same time, we are isolating ourselves by being behind a screen all the time. I think I've said this before in other episodes, but, you know, look up, be present. And I think in episode three, that's also emphasized, like, be present in where you are. All these people in all these episodes are very profoundly unhappy. (laughs) And I think Black Mirror is really trying to send the message that these people are depressed because of their technological advancements that they have access to. Definitely. It's a very good point. And so if you have thoughts on Black Mirror Season 1 or on the conversation Caroline and I have just had, we would love to hear them. You can reach us on Twitter or on Facebook. Our email account is stridensaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the episode, please consider sharing it with friends and reviewing us on iTunes. And if you quote the text of your review on iTunes and email it to us, you will be entered for a chance to win a $20 Amazon gift card. And as always, thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And this is Caroline Borders. We'll see you next time.